There's no camera. It's just a, a recorder. And I this moment. Okay, what's the, what was this thing you were saying? So, no, so there's this particular gene that some people have that are more susceptible to experiencing like uh, PMDD or like severe depression episodes and things like that. Um, and those are the, the population of humans that are more likely to either attempt or complete a suicide. And those people from, um, you know, like a genetic standpoint have a particular gene. And I was going to bring it up earlier, but I, I couldn't remember the exact one. It's like GX something. And I'll, I'll find the study because I have it saved in my notes and I'll send it to you. Because it, it's fascinating. You know, like these people are more genetically predisposed predisposed to um, like you know particular things particular emotions particular diseases like you know it's it's a combination of epidemiology and virology um, so so okay have they noticed any like trends that these particular people from this region or this race or this or is it, is yeah, it among all have. races yeah no so you know the the likelihood of the gene presenting itself is somewhat equal across all like variety and populations of humans. However, you know, that's when you take a pie stance and you look at the person and environment pie. Um, and you start to see the environmental factors, the cultural factors, the socioeconomic influences, and all of those different things that start to come into play. And so like you'll notice like higher, um, higher suicidal rates in uh, Native American, African American, um, and Indian populations. And a lot of the time those are the things that are less covered you know like you don't hear about that a lot and and so that is a societal thing that's more of like a sociological or anthropological but, but does that have anything to do with because i've heard that like you know they're now showing that like something like pain or like like the instance, like the pain of slavery or the pain of like the trail of tears or whatever that is could be carried through dna so that's like they've coined the term generational trauma and that is like as you know there's so many critics to something like that you know they think like oh well you didn't directly experience it so like it, it doesn't have this emotional toll on you but it does and so that's when it comes from a societal influence to a cultural impact and so you know carrying the burdens of your ancestors is something that we do subconsciously um and in particular cultures that are heavily influenced by those things like if you think about like white america and if you think about like american culture like the first thing that comes to mind for me is hot dogs and baseball that's not necessarily you know like a very influential culture whereas like if you look at other subgroups of humans that rely heavily on traditions and they rely heavily on you know all of these things that their people have been doing to sort of uphold these things um you know it becomes so much more and so you know like the african-american population is one that i've studied pretty extensively and if you look at their culture um outside of the ramifications of societal pressures they they are one that they most likely will turn to church as therapy as outing as a release of pain they you know there's and we were talking about earlier there's you know the masculine and the feminine and feminine energy is more willing to communicate and to be soft and be vulnerable whereas masculine energy is very hard and protruding and sort of closed off um, in its general sense but you know and so a, a lot of those influences come into the cultural aspect of life and so when you're looking at an American um, that has ancestors and descendants from Africa their culture says that they can't talk about pain especially on top of the social ramifications of being a male 
So, you know, there's a high extent of suicidal ideation in um, African-American males. And then, so that, that comes from the cultural sense, but looking at African-American women who have, you know, they have to, you know, be strong and they have to blah, 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 blah. And there's all these stereotypes about how, you know, like black girls act and things like that. So, you know, they have that social interpretation of how they should behave and that, that adds on to not only that, you know, gene that a lot of people are predisposed to, it adds on to the way that they view their own environment. And we were talking earlier about thoughts forming your own perception. And so if you feel like you can express your pain, if you feel that, you know, you believe in your culture, but your culture says that you shouldn't talk about these things. Which is why things like toxic masculinity exist. Cause you're, exactly. Yeah, yeah, you're, exactly. And so these are the people that are more likely to not only suffer from, you know, like, depression, anxiety, um, you know, gender issues, things like that, they are more likely to act upon those things. So if you have one person that has the GX gene, whatever the number is, uh, who is a white girl in California whose parents have money and, you know, there's not a whole lot of societal stereotypes based around her that are like intrusively negative versus like a black man from Chicago whose dad left and, you know, single mother working her ass off. You know, like there are a lot of external environmental factors that are going to play into that. So even though, like, if you take those two people and they have the same gene and the same predisposition, that's why I like the pie and, um, environmental lens so much because it shows you two people that, you know, like, let's say they're born and they have a 5% chance of actually committing suicide. Um, and it's such a dark topic, but it's something that I really enjoy studying. So let's say Sally in California is born with a 5% and Jimmy in Chicago or whatever I said has a 5%. Um, based off their environmental factors, even though they're born both equally predisposed, they, one is going to be more likely to actually commit. And so those are the things that I find so interesting to study down to like a genetic Variation. Well, the thing is, like, to me, it's like, you know, people think that that sounds ridiculous, but it's like, what is what is evolution in the first place? Like, for instance, like, what, what makes an, one particular animal have better hearing or have better response to certain sounds? Because it, it's, it's, it's for defense. So it's, it's like, why would a human who's evolved to do this, this, and this, and, like, you look at the differences between people that live in the woods versus people that are, you know, built to cities and, and, and how they've adapted. It's like, you're, why wouldn't you also... Uh, ad- adapt or, or carry pain over from a previous like if your if your family right. carried like pain of like slavery why wouldn't you still have that that would still be a genetic thing like even if you you'd have a because I mean for instance like I have no reason the you know to fear certain things it's like I may I may have had something in one of my ancestors so it's like if we have that genetic thing in us why wouldn't we also have the genetic right. thing of pain instinctually like we're drawn to fire you know and I think that a lot of people would argue with it but you know our ancestors created or you know came across fire one day and realized the power that it has light and cooking you know like warning off particular predators like you were saying and so i think you know tying it back to the generational trauma uh lens that a lot of people are starting to actually give a lot of validation to it's so important because you know if you look at and this was a few years ago so maybe the statistics have changed but you know just the 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 pay gap between genders you know and so it's like if you feel like you can't express yourself if you feel like your environment isn't supporting you if you feel like you know um economically you are working three times as hard for a person that 
you know, is never going to give you the same opportunities that they were just given at birth, you know, like those things, no matter how subconsciously they are, they come to life and they have a direct impact on how you view your surroundings, your environment, your capabilities, you know? And so it starts to not only fuck with you in a social sense, it starts to literally disintegrate your internal idea of yourself. And so a person that is more predisposed to, you know, um, any mental illness really is that those things are going to worsen. And there are ways to backtrack those things, but I think that people so often try to uh, separate mental illness, physical illness, and social environment. And I think that that is a fault in the way that our society views mental health. I think that all of these things are incredibly interconnected. Well, I was, uh, not to change the subject as far as like, like um, pay gap, but weren't they, weren't they showing that like there's a misinterpretation of that? Like, cause people think, oh, women are doing the same thing and not getting paid. It, it's just women well, aren't, are. women aren't getting offered the same jobs that men are getting paid for certain things. And so cause... that comes down, you know, like you were referring to toxic masculinity. There are I can, as a white female, I can be given the same opportunities as a white male, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the rate of com- competition is going to be easier. Okay, because I've seen situations where, like, a guy, like, two guys, like, uh, like a, there'll be three people, one guy, or two guys and a girl, and these, the one guy and the one girl are basically doing the same exact thing as the one guy. That guy's getting paid more, has a different title. These two are known as like floor supervisor. This guy's known as manager. They technically all do the same work, and but it's it's technically they're they're not getting paid less. So what they're happening is they're de- being denied the job that would pay them more. So it's happening to some men too. But what what's happened? What I'm finding out is that like a lot of times, like girls aren't the women aren't getting offered that position that would pay them more. And so they're still getting paid the same amount as, as another guy that's also getting fucked out of that position right. for whatever some so bias. So I think if you, you know, if, if I'm going to speak in very broad terms that I feel very passionately about, like I could definitely go down a different rabbit hole with this, but I think... Um, yeah, so I don't want to through the conversation because I like the, the, genetic, the genetic thing, but I'm like, that's another one right there. Yeah, you know, and there's so many different, you know, that's why this topic fascinates me. Like, I remember I had a person ask me, why am I interested in schizophrenia, mental illness, death, suicidal ideation, like, self-harm, things like that. And I, it was really funny. I was put on the spot, and I didn't really have a great answer. I just think there's an infinite amount of factors that go into all of these things. And so there's tons of rabbit holes that we could fall down. But. Well, understanding the past is also understanding you now. So it's like you uncover these things that also helps us understand us. Like, what are we at this moment? Exactly. Yeah, so I think I think it's interesting to look at. Um, there is a very, you know, defined finite wage gap. So, and these are going to be like butchered statistics. But if you, I think when I was a sophomore, junior in college, I had read that um, white men, per whatever dollar they were making, white women were making sixty-four cents to every male dollar. And then I started looking into the cultural implications. So black women were making I believe it was like 43 or 53 cents per dollar that a white man is making and so it's like when you when you add stereotypes into social implications into institutionalized racism and trauma there's no way and so that's why people get stuck in the system it's because there's no way to really outwork outshine outcompete because there there are levels that we've created in this game 
which are all fabricated that keep people stuck in a, in a cycle where, you know, it's going to perpetuate those stereotypes no matter how badly they would like to break out of them. And I think that that's what's interesting about culture and that's what's interesting about race and gender and no matter how many times you look at it and say, these things don't matter, we're all the same species, which is sort of what we were talking about earlier, they're, they're, they're real in the sense that our society has created a place value for them. So, so what, what, I, what I think I, I've sort of like looked at is like you the the it, it's jobs go to favoritism so if if white you know if, if white men have always had the power then it's like you know women didn't have the ability to vote what was it, like a hundred years ago Not even, like, it, but yeah. and like um so if you think about it, like for positionally it's like like a lot has actually happened in a hundred years it's been it you has. know but you know it, it's like it's just like you know new kid shows up to school right uh, you, you know, he's automatically the, his, the buddies are always going to choose like the kids that are already there, like favoritism. It's like he may be the best person on the thing, but it's like, oh, we don't know this kid yet, so we're going to choose these people. I feel like the people at the top have been just happened to have been have been white men for so long. Right. It's like they're still choosing their homies. Yeah. So even you know, and so like everyone else is sort of getting left behind. I think it, that that shows implications on human behavior in general. Yes, because because what I've noticed is like there's been times where I've you know, somebody wanted to hire me over somebody way skilled and it had nothing to do with my, my race, me being a male. It was the fact that like they, I was entertaining them and they were like that. So they're like, Oh dude, this guy, this, I, they considered me like a homie. And so they were going to hire me just cause they wanted their buddies around. And I get that. And, and so I've that, actually been in the opposite role though. I've been in a role where I have been more qualified. I've been more well-versed in the industry and in the environment and whatever. I've been more educated than the other applicants. And I've lost positions based off of that same, almost, I would call it instinctual human behavior of going with what you know yep. and, and playing it safe so, so often. And I think, you know, all of those things play a part into the instant institutions that, you know, are so fundamentally broken. And I think that, you know, a lot of people, especially now, like in my generation, like I'm Am I two generations behind you? No. I don't know. I, I think that, you know, with, like, the younger generations, I think that they are, um, they're definitely feeling that overall apathy of, like, we want a progressive change, however, and we can see clearly where things are broken, but we don't really know. We, even if we do know how to fix them, we don't know how to approach it because of that instinctual stay safe, stay with what you know. I think there's a lot of, and I don't think it's, I don't know, I'm never really here it talked about, but like the whole thing about, you know, people are like <laughs> boomers, this and all, I think what it comes down to is that like a lot of the younger kids, you know, or a lot of kid, people that are adults now, when they were kids, nobody really, nobody really listened to you or you didn't really have a right to speak until you got to a certain point. And I think what I think the thing is that now, now everybody, you know, 10 year old has the ability to like get on Instagram, MySpace, everything, TikTok. Facebook, TikTok and be like, I have an opinion. Right. And so everybody's like, no one's listening to me. And it's like, well, dude, like 30 years ago, no one, no one had like the ability to be up in everybody's business. No one knew who you were. Like you had to put your time in. And I saw so it's like the older generation's like put your time in the younger generations. You're not giving us a shot. It's like, yeah, because you haven't stopped running your mouth since you were 12. Well, I think, you know, that there's, there's good and bad things with the expansion of social media I think one thing um, is that it's created a larger dialogue between people that would never speak before I also think that it gives people this uh, facade or falsified idea that that their opinion actually matters you know like I could post 300 YouTube videos a day but am I necessarily going to make a change you know and, and I think that I think it's a good way of keeping us held back 
knowing, like sharing information, knowing we can do something about it, but nothing is actually getting done. Because we've had YouTube for like, what, 21 years? Google's been around for like 25. I mean, the algorithm's been around longer, but I mean, like we've had the access to the but internet. But YouTube, YouTube changed its function where like, uh, it was, it was like more random people were able to post stuff. It would make it easier for random people to post stuff more legitimately. What was that like 10 years ago? When, when did smartphones really make their big boom as far as becoming mainstream? I missed it I because guess, I've only been on it three and a half months. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's been about 10 years. It's been about a decade. And, um, you know, I think, I think, you know, going back to where we started with epidemiology and gene predisposition and, you know, mental health concerns, I think, I think that I haven't solved this, this, you know, problem, but I think the largest thing is stigma and stigma can, you know, stem from so many different things, bringing it back to culture, bringing it back to gender, bringing it back to the way that society views a particular person's function in the matrix, in the game, in the position that they play. And, you know, I think social media does a great job at spreading the word. I mean, we wouldn't have movements like Me Too or any of those very large influential things where people are able to get on a platform and discuss things that have happened to them. I think that that is a good start in stigma. But I mean, like, if we're asking the question of, like, if we know genetics, environment, and health play a role in mental illness, how do we, how do we fix that? How do we stop the stigma from spreading to such a large scale? Because people don't talk about it, and that's the thing. It doesn't matter really what gender you are. No one really wants to have the tough conversations. That, that's true, and, and well, the problem is that, you know, people always say like correlation doesn't always mean you know, causation, correlation and causation, but the thing is it's like, you know, what we were, uh, we were just saying, like I, I had me think about this, uh, had, I just had a thought, it was like, you know, there's let's say an African-American uh, male, let's say, uh, you know, a native woman, let's say that a white woman, uh, just a bunch of like everything comes to apply for this job. And the person who gets it might be the 19th out of 20th most qualified person. It happens to be a white male. And and so the, the black person's like, it's because of my race. The woman goes, Cause, oh, because I'm a woman. The native person goes, oh, it's because I'm a native woman. And really, it's like that guy might have gotten hired because they both they both ended up like ba- banging some slut that's going to get this guy fired. Yeah, so everyone of- associates it with a race or this. And it's like sometimes it could just be that guy did something ratchet and, together with their guy. And, and it's I like, think that there's a large cultural experience of counter-transference and transference that happens in situations like that. And I think that, you know, the instance of a person saying it's because of this or it's A, B, C, X, Y, Z, whatever. We oversimplify it. We try to, like, make it, it's because of this. And it's like, yo, you can't even give me a straight answer why you like orange juice more than apple juice. Shit, it's complicated. Apple juice is clearly superior. Oh, man, depends on my mood. No. But. God. (laughs) (laughs) No, and I, I think, you know, there's, you're right, we oversimplify things. And I think that the counter-transference and transference that occurs within a systematic pawn-moving scheme of what, you know, the working class or, you know, the high class or whatever is, is part of that instinctual, let's just play it safe. You know, let's go with what we know. And I think that that only perpetuates a lot of the harm, a lot of the stigma, and a lot of the, you know, risk factors that are included into something as vast as like suicide or depression or things and and I'm not saying that we haven't progressed you know I think at this point I definitely know more people that are mentally ill than you know are considered to be neurotypical um Uh, well what I've noticed in just this this um 
during the quarantine is is we all have different mental illnesses. I feel like there's a lot more of us that are have the ability to be depressed, a lot more people that have the ability to, to be substance addicted, to be, um, you know, coping in, you know, with like, I know a lot of people that have picked up their sleeping because they, they, instead of, you know, but then there's some people that have risen up and becoming more productive. Like I've been more productive. I think I, I've been I've definitely in a, been b- sleeping more because I needed a break. <laughs> yeah, well, that's because you've been working your ass off. Like, but what, I, what I've noticed is that like, there's a lot of people that have been so busy that they, you know, they say they've taken a break, but they, they really haven't. And this has forced them. And it's like, people are, are coming to grips with like, holy shit, I don't know the last time I actually stared in the mirror and recognized myself. Right. And someone's like- Yeah, this has posed a lot of challenges for a lot of different people. I mean, for me personally, it, it's definitely forced me to realize, you know, my self-worth is not necessarily based on productivity. Especially being graduated now and being unemployed and, and not really uh, being allowed to be around the people that I would like to, not having the same structure. I mean, I, it's definitely forced me in front of the mirror a couple times um, and had to like really look at like, you know, what the fuck am I doing? <laughs> you know, and are, are my coping mechanisms just another form of escapism or am I, you know, trying to actually progress? But um, yeah, I think, you know, no matter for me and like what I've studied and really feel passionate about the biggest factor is environment, you know, like we could both be predisposed. Wow. I'm butchering that word every single time. <laughs> Cause yeah, I think you want to say predisposition. Yeah, I do. It's funny, but you know, we could, we could both have the same inclination to, you know, be binge drinkers. And I think one is going to have a different experience of, depending on how supportive their environment is, how their parents interact with them, how, you know, their school system, their community, their friendships, their intimate relationships, all of these different things. I think, you know, weighing out your environment and looking at your risk versus protective factors is ultimately, like, one of the biggest things besides looking at genetics. And I think, you know, we know that we can, dare I say, rewrite our genetic code. I mean, I know our cells replenish themselves every seven years, and your reality is a manifestation of your thoughts. I don't know. That's one thing I'll have to, like, dive into is, you know, can you genuinely rewrite, you know, your code? They're saying that you can. They're, they, they're, they're, they're suggesting that it is. And, like, like logically, it's... I believe that, but emotionally, I don't know if I'm on board yet. <laughs> you know? like, And I think that's me with a lot of things. I think logically I can understand the principles of, like, a statement or a research finding or something like that, but emotionally I'm doubting it so my thoughts are creating the skepticism well the neuro the neuroscience is is flat out showing that that like your first first of all anything that you've become your habit that change in general makes your body go ah scary so even if you're doing something negative to your body your your brain interprets it less dangerously than the right option even because the right option is something new and it causes you stress like doing the right thing still requires you to shift, which is, I think they said like three times harder than learning a behavior in the first place. And uh, so that change is automatically gonna trigger the stress thing at first. So, which sends, which physically generates uh, chemicals. Yeah. Right. So, you know, getting past that, you know, that, 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 that's hard because people are just like, oh, I'm not happy in my situation. But that's what they say at first, you're gonna be uncomfortable because initially change requires you to be even more uncomfortable than you are right now in order to get to a point where you'll be way happier than you are so it's that whole like i'm gonna have to be probably two to three times more miserable than i already am in order to get to the spot where i'm way happier and the most people won't get through that it's like by working out most people are like they they don't they're like i felt great daily like i'm too sore to get up and it's like you have to get past like the two-week barrier you're 
quitting cigarettes. You have to get like right. a couple weeks in. You have to like all these things. You have to. I think in relationships, I think it takes one month for uh, a person to of not talking to someone for someone to actually get to the point where like okay, that that to, for it to break apart the old attachments and then finally kind of be able to establish new information with that situation. And so, so the, the, the brain, you know, you, we get tricked into thinking like, uh, I'm not happy, but I'm comfortable. And so that's way better than. Right. And your, your brain is so powerful. Your brain has so many subconscious techniques into doing, you know, mental backflips into creating a reality that you'll accept because I think people are too scared to be vulnerable to accept the reality that, you know, change is going to take this comfort to grow in any realm of what you're looking to succeed in is going to take, you know, some, some, something that's uncomfortable. And I think that that's, I mean, bringing it back to stigma, I think that that's why people don't talk about these things because it's uncomfortable. And you don't, I think the general public doesn't see how much strength is actually found in vulnerability. You know, and I think that that's something that I found when, you know, when I was very young, that the more I shared, the more people were able to say like holy shit me too exactly you know? and then they were able to you know open up their selves grow from their understanding while you know sharing with other people and i think that that's the problem with the quarantine and why we're seeing such you know a 284 percent increase in alcohol intake and you know a very extreme spike in domestic violence i had like a three-day period where i i was drunk before 5 p.m like three days in a row and i immediately went that's the end for me and i cut myself off then because i'm like i already know where this goes yeah i mean <laughs> and you out of you know most of the people i know you have an extreme you know you're very you have a very strong willpower for me personally, I've been drinking every day for over a month and I'm like, it's fine, you know, like <laughs> it's fine. Um, and, and, you know, no matter how much I logically know that that is, you know, there are factors in my environment that are making me go this direction that I overall know will worsen my anxiety, will ruin my sleep and will, you know, deepen my depression. Um, and, you know, sleep is a whole other thing. Let's fall down that rainbow for a second. I, I don't think people realize how much sleep is actually the main balancing point for everything in your life, like cognition and pattern recognition and, you know, your ability to make connections and express and work and be a functioning human. Like sleep is so goddamn important. And like, for me personally, I'm lucky. Yes, I'm drinking more, but I'm definitely sleeping more than I have in the past like five years. So. Well, not necessarily. It's good, it's good sleep. What, you know, what I, I noticed the other day I slept, I think for 10 hours straight. Wow. And I did less good than the other day when I passed out. I, I'd, I'd done a good workout. I can't remember. I think it was one day we, we'd played tennis and I'd done some other like athletic stuff. And like I came and sat down on my chair. I was like 8.30 and I fell asleep from 8.30 to I think it was 11.30. So it was like a, no, it was like 11. It was like two and a half hours. And I was more rested off that two and a half hours than I was the entire 10 because the 10 was like, okay, I'm finally ready to go to bed. But my body's like, dude, I need to go to bed like four hours ago. And so even though I slept, it wasn't what my body needed. Whereas when I fell asleep exactly when my body needed, that it's like, I got two and a half hours. I'm good for another like. And I think, you know, what you just said has like large implications on like what we started with is that we live in a society where we so often ignore our natural instincts, our impulses, what our body needs. Our body is constantly firing. We don't keep it 100. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah, essentially like people don't you know listen to what they need they think that their value will increase if they do this or they will be more successful if they do this and if they achieve this goal weight they'll be happy and if they have this many friends on facebook they'll feel secure or whatever you know and like 
your body is again subconsciously fighting those things and you know we're being told by our environment to ignore those impulses and I think that that's what's led us into such a like negative self-isolated environment right now I mean especially during the quarantine I haven't met a single person except like my most introverted friends that are like I'm fine with this because it's completely disrupting what we need and we're being forced to actually listen to our bodies for the first time and I don't think that we really know how to handle that and so it's bringing up a lot of aspects I mean it's like in in midnight gospel when they were saying um when people smoke weed they feel paranoid but really it's just bringing out aspects of themselves that they don't necessarily want to deal with right now and I think that that's what the quarantine is forcing us to do without the influences of substances I think that we're forced to sit down and you know deal with our instincts and try to find some sort of you know like soul invigorating factor that isn't what society says will invigorate our souls I'm told if I go to work from nine to five I'll you know be successful and be good and be happy and right now I'm deconstructing all of those things and that's uncomfortable and so invulnerable and so it's going to take a little bit of time to find strength yeah, that's that's very true well in in, in 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 weed I was like I wanted to disagree a little bit because some of it's all about timing because for me if I'm in the mood to think of like 50 million things make create and I do weed and all of a sudden it makes me not I be able to multitask weed. it's like it, it, it bothers the shit out of me because like yeah. I'm I'm frustrated not because I'm like oh I'm frustrated with myself I'm like no I could be doing so much more right now but the weed isn't keeping me from being able to remember the thing that my creative thing it, it limits your pathway to one thing and to me it's a limiting device but you know people I'm like I'm like People use it as such a crutch. Yeah. But like acid, acid makes me hate stuff about myself way more, brings more truth, but at least it lets me multitask. So I can sit there and think like I can do like the 10 million things at once because that's how my brain thinks normally, how people's, people tell me they are on the peak of acid. I'm like, oh, that's how my brain is literally all the time. Wow. Yeah. And so weed, weed is like a frustrating. I'm like, no wonder I frustrate you people because you're like, <laughs> there's just too much going on. I'm like, this is normal for me. Yeah, I mean, I, I had a really interesting shift with my use of substances and you know, I grew up smoking a lot of weed, thinking, you know, I really had the image of myself as like a 76-year-old woman on a rocking chair, smoking weed and yelling at the neighborhood kids. Like, it's what I wanted to grow up into. Don't steal my image. That's, a, <laughs> like, that's my identity. I really, like, I, you know, and, yes. that, and that's the thing. We hold so tightly to these images that we, like, don't even realize that, you know, whether it's a substance or a job or a relationship or a status symbol or whatever, you know, it's like, why do people even fucking buy Gucci? You know, because it's because it's Maine. <laughs> no, because it's a status symbol. You know what I, I mean? hate that. That's the exact reason I don't buy any of these. I'm like, I'm like, God damn! If I see another, like, people, I think it's like you have you have your name written on it seven times, Tommy Hilfiger. <laughs> like, bro, <laughs> we get it. We get it. You right. make clothing. <laughs> right. Exactly. You know, and I think. Um, Dude, can I get like your name tattooed on my dick? Oh yeah, <laughs> it's gonna get you a lot of popularity. Exactly. Sweet. People will know that you're cool. Appreciate it, bro. And, and that's the thing. Like, we hold those things so closely to our identity. So I remember when I stopped smoking, um, wow, yeah, I felt like such a large piece of my identity, like, dissipate into the wind as, as much as, like, you know, me exhaling a bong rip would. <laughs> it was just, it was gone. And I remember I was living with these girls at the time, and one of them was a really heavy smoker, and, um, she, you know, she was like, come on, man you know, fucking do it, so I took a hit, I don't even remember what it was, it might, it might have even been a dad, maybe that's what fucked me up so badly, but I remember sitting in my room, like, so incredibly paranoid and unable, it wasn't, like, a limiting thing, and, you know, taking that quote from Midnight Gospel, I haven't really been able to apply it, but it was something that I held so dearly true to me, 
that I didn't realize was such a crutch until it wasn't around anymore. And, that it, and it was a hard adjustment to not smoke, but, you know... Um, and it builds feelings of loyalty. That's what people don't realize it is it builds such a so you're like that's my you know you're, That's why so many relationships will stay together yeah. and the second they don't have weed because it's like you're so loyal to this person or to this end the of the substance That's like my boyfriend ran out of weed and then I realized I hated him yeah. <laughs> It's a fucking very large reality, you know, and, and luckily I, I never played that role, but um, it, it did make me have a false sense of myself, you know, and I felt um, safe and comfortable and I felt like I couldn't function without it and I think society tells us that like you know there's there's a lot of uh, upcoming and um, conflicting research now because of the legal wave of marijuana but you know they they for a long time argued that you couldn't be addicted to it you know and, and I always disagreed with that I never thought I was addicted to it but I knew that if you have an addictive personality um, you know, and if, if you attach something so deeply to the root of your self-image, then like 100% it's going to become a crutch, whether, like, and you won't realize it, you know, and, and so I think, you know, the same thing about what we're saying about marijuana can be applied to, to work. Oh, can be applied to literally anything. Right. Well, well you know, the, the what you, just from an outside perspective, a person who... You know, people are like, well, you're not a big weed smoker. I'm like, yeah, but I've done other things. So for a person who's, you know, had a, had addictions to other things and, and understands addictive personality but isn't addicted to that particular one but sees people who are like, dude, it doesn't affect me. I'm like, yo, I, I you, you, it takes you like three hours to get certain things done. I've seen you guys argue and then literally be like, no, it's cool. And then we, you, there wasn't weed for three days. And you guys literally like broke up and like moved out and they like never talked to you. I was like, all it took was three days to sink your relationship. That's a pretty powerful substance, my friend. Right. If you can have two years and all it takes is like... And that's the thing. It's not even really the substance. It's your brain. It's the way your brain is reacting to it. It's, it's the um, the closeness and the, the coddling effects that you do to yourself onto that substance. You, you become to think that, you know, it's not affecting you in such a heavy way, but you really could be... You know, stuck in a relationship that's solely based off of one thing. Well, and the thing is, like, people don't realize. People always say that's like, oh, well, we know we we have cannabinoid receptors in our bodies. So I'm like, mm-hmm. you are absolutely correct, but we also are, had those wired for weed that grew naturally. We have steroided we the have fuck out of weed. Modified like, the shit out we have of made it. shit like 20, 30 times more powerful than right. nature intended. Right. And so it's like, no, our bodies are not intended to handle that much fucking THC. Yeah. And and you know, take it from a guy who doesn't smoke weed, I can do one hit. One hit is some good stuff, and I'm golden. And yeah, I see people put down bong rips after bong rips after three dab hits. I'm like, if it takes you that much, you're missing the point. It's like someone's like, I'm not an alcoholic. I'm like, well, I'm a guy who doesn't drink, and it takes me like one cup of alcohol to be fucked up. Four and you steps. just drank like five glasses, and you're like, I think I'm starting to feel tipsy. I'm like, you might be doing too much. Right. I would say somebody who doesn't do with something, you get like get 20 people who don't do something, and find the average of about how much it takes them, and it's usually a low amount. If it takes you 10 times as much as that, you've probably done the substance too much. I mean, everything in moderation. Yep. I mean that quite literally. Absolutely everything. I mean, I don't think that there's anything, you know, inherently bad for you. I, I agree. I think it's, again, the environment. I think it's the people you're with, your intentions, your smarts about going into the situation, how you plan on... You know, getting out of it. And I think that that's why a lot of people fuck up on psychedelics. I yeah. I think that that's why there is, you know, that's not the only reason why there's bad trips, but I think that's a, that's a very large part of it. I think that people don't take into consideration everything is connected. I told my my buddy was like, it was like, how the hell do you can you do something without getting addicted? I'm like, all right. So let's say that you you have so and so things to do, and you have a you know workout goals. And you go all day, finally get everything done on your list. It's time to work out. You do an extra 30 minutes and get some of your assignments done for tomorrow. 
What do you do as a reward? You might give yourself a substance. What happens if you haven't gotten anything done and you feel bad about yourself and do a substance? That's where addiction starts because you were, you were, instead of, you were running away from your, into your shame and using this and that's making you feel better as opposed to I got everything done. Instead of it being a reward for success, it becomes a, an escape from shame. Yeah. An escape from shame will, like will lead to... Pavlog- Licked the buzzer to get a treat versus. They're saying if, if Pavlov licked the, the, the balls, it flicked the dog's balls. Clicked the clicker <laughs> to give the dog a treat versus if he clicked it to, you know, like have the dogs like attack each other. You know, like there, there's a fine line with that. And. Um, what I always think funny about Pavlov's dog, he always rung the bell, you know, in the thing, in, you know, the, the, the dog came, but it's like, I wonder how many times the bell went off and Pavlov was like, oh crap, I need to go feed the dog. <laughs> Pavlov was getting Pavlov. And that's the thing, I mean, and, and, you know, so it's like... Those who fight with monsters might be careful as they become a monster themselves. <laughs> Thank you, Nietzsche. It's peachy. It's peachy, Nietzsche. Yeah, I mean, um, I think, you know, substance abuse is a really interesting thing, and as a person who eat, breathes, sleeps, and fucks the DSM-5, I mean, I have a lot of... Um, arguments against what someone does call substance abuse you know and I think that these things are so rapidly evolving in their definitions like OCD was once an anxiety disorder and it's no longer classified as that autism was different than um, Asperger's and now there's you know there's a broad array of you know autism spectrum disorders and so these things are constantly changing and I think that I think that people take science and literature and peer-reviewed articles as, like, gold. You know, they, they don't think that they're a fluid thing that is based off of human observation where things can constantly fluctuate. Which is what I love Aaron Weinstein. He was like, he's like, I hate peer review because it's like, these guys are considered the knowledge. And it's like, but it's like, these people that we saw as fact, it's like, two years later, like, oh, never mind. Like, the whole thing, don't eat eggs, they're horrible for you. Eat them again. And then five years later, never mind, don't eat them, don't touch them. Well, yeah, and, and then, and like the eggs are like, we've been the same eggs the past hundred years, but you've like, we're good, we're bad, we're good, we're bad. And these peer review guys, and it's like, and he's like, I don't want to play that game. And it's such bullshit because it's like, there's these guys sitting on the mountaintop that are like, we're waiting for you to give us your thing. And well, if you don't thing, cater yeah. to their rule, then we're waiting for funding. You know, so it's like when you look at, um, what was it? Y'all play yogurt a few years ago. I had like a breast cancer awareness line or whatever. And they had their beautiful pink ribbons all over the yogurt. Um, but when you actually, like, and if you look at Yoplait's peer-reviewed studies, it says, like, eating this yogurt can help reduce blah, 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 and you'll be less likely to suffer from breast cancer. When you look at the funders and the people that sponsored that actual research was Yoplait yogurt. And when you actually dive into, like, you know, the Breast Cancer Foundation, well, I forget the, the name of it, it's some woman's name or something like that but you know they they say that dairy has a direct correlation to um the uh glands inside of the breast that are more likely and more susceptible to getting this and so it's like when well yes one was peer-reviewed but who was sponsoring it you know and if you're an average american i mean think about the average american how smart is the average american uh that's a, that's a that's a weird question because what I've learned is the average American is very smart in specific things, but the collective intelligence is is. Think about the average collective intelligence. Well, the the I, w- I would say the over, the average collective intelligence is very basic, but it's also people I meet have amazing skills. I'm like, damn, you're so intelligent when it comes to this weird origami. Right. But like, no, you don't put the egg in your asshole, Richard. Right. Yeah. Maybe you do. I don't know. It's, 
You never know the health. Damn it, Richard. We could find a pure. That's how I make love. Oh Fair enough. No, you but know, I will tell you about that girl Miranda from my high school, though, right? Next time. Yeah. <laughs> the but no, like what you're saying, but you know, the thing is, it's like the problem is, it's like I, it's why I have such a hard time, you know, having any intelligent discussion with somebody who's a staunch empiricist. Is they're like they're so fucking arrogant that you know. You know, I remember that, that one time we were trying to, like, we brought up, even brought up the word spirituality. I remember Kyle would be like, Pfft. and then uh, the one guy I was already uh, talking with the bar was like, Pfft. I'm like, guys, like, like, a large you, the, the thing that you're so freaking connected to and so arrogant about, like, six months from now, guess what? Those same period of thing. Oh, by the way, we completely changed our stance on it. I'm like, that thing you saw was fact. And now they're, you're, now they have my stance. Well, at the time, I'm like, and I was like, I was like, you don't have any independent thinking. It'd be one thing if you did the studies yourself. But you're, you're, you're going ahead and taking the word of other people. And so that's that sounds like religion with, to me. <laughs> so that's my thing with, you know, like the DSM and particular, like, scientific classifications of disorders and things like that. So, you know, you look at what to find substance abuse in the DSM-5 or the ICD or anything like that. And there are, you know, there's typically a time frame for these things. It's typically um, how many times you engage in it. There's particularly like thought processes, like particular manifestations and behaviors that a person will do to obtain the amount of time they spend thinking about those. But the thing that the ICD and the DSM lack is the ability to take culture again back into consideration. I mean, if you look at people in Russia, I, I used to babysit for this woman who came straight from fucking Russia and for breakfast they were serving tequila shots and vodka for lunch and they were constantly drinking and that was just what their culture was and, and and there's no consideration for that and so again like taking back to the quarantine and american culture like all of these things are sort of up in the air and i think people take them so seriously when they're written but they don't actually take the time to do their own experiments like you were just saying and to actually see how it affects them you know um it- it, it just it's sort of it's like the, my, my problem with it is it, it sort of became like science became the new religion it, it's it's like well these guys did it. we trust them because it's not a fairy tale i'm like yeah but like strength the strength theory is a fairy tale you're taking some knowledge that we do have and now you're making guesses at it and i, I think the biggest thing about that I, there's a really fun term that i love uh, i'm not going to be able to recall in this instance but people so often respect a role and scientists with their, you know, white coats and big goggles and doctors with their stethoscopes and clipboards and fun shit like that. Those are roles that people are playing that people feel as if they are not able to do. And so they take those things to heart. Just like we would look at the manifestation of Jesus Christ in the Bible and say, wow, you know, like, I can never do this. This person has all of the knowledge. I must follow. I must obey. I must, you know, believe. And I think that that's what we do today with, you know, lead scientists and doctors and people that have accreditations that the average American, again, can't understand. And my, and my thing with the general public is that if you, for me, when I think about the average American, I don't have a lot of faith in them. And so and, and if that, if, you know, and that's me being a cynic and I'm a little bit of a nihilist and I, I know that about myself, but if I'm looking at the average American and I think to myself, wow, you're not that bright, I then realize that there is a whole other portion of like people that are below average. And then that's the shit that scares me because those are the people. And those people that, that tend to be breeding more too. Right. And those are the people that will take the information, not think for themselves and recite it because a person in a white coat told them because they went to school for a long time. Mm. And this can have so many implications on the education system, which that's a whole other rabbit hole. 
sleep and the education system are things I would love to fucking talk about. Um, but they go, you know, they go pretty deep. And I think... Um, we should do a series, actually. We'll do, we'll, do, we'll, do, we'll do the Kaylee and Dan series. Kaylee and Dan. It'll be Back the, at it again. Back at it again. Part day, day, the, your, your daily... <laughs> your daily can. <laughs> your daily cane. Because yeah, we're mean... able. <laughs> oh, shit. A biblical reference. <laughs> That's hot. Um, Tight. <laughs> yeah, but, I, you know, again, lo- wrapping it all up, I think that, you know, genetics and environment play a very large role in the way that people manifest their behaviors and the way that they interact in their social environment. And I think innately that we as humans are social creatures. And so, you know, I think we need to be more mindful and aware of what we're doing in those instances and how they're affecting others and how they're affecting ourselves internally and how that comes back, you know, biologically and chemically and how those things can manifest depending on the person. I mean, no one's depression is the same. Um, and, and, and I'll, you know, I was explaining to someone the other day, it was like, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I, you know, I, me personally, I'm probably in one of the best like quarantine's been good for me in a lot of ways because I've got come back to my creativity like it's why I'm that's why I started doing this podcast is because conversations like this I feel like people need to hear this because it's just like how many thoughts are just happening in people's heads and they're like you know I bet you only have these these five are probably valid but these other five I shouldn't talk about it's like you know how many other people are probably having those same crazy thoughts and it's like what we need to be doing get get more conversations so we can realize we're not all that different yeah so i mean yeah exactly and i I was recently doing research on like the um intervention of hope squads which is essentially an initiative that um is nationally implemented but specifically it's been uh, very effective in colorado um for teens that are experiencing high rates of suicide um colorado is it's been on an 86 percent increase in completed suicide since 1997 uh which was actually the year i was born so that's not good um but um yeah you're, you're so, actually a prophet of change <laughs> so you know and and the whole the whole basis of the intervention to sum it up is basically like uh peer support Peer support is one of the biggest protective factors that you can do for a person that is suffering from really any type of mental illness. I mean, some are definitely more complex and, um, you know, manifest in very deep ways that are hard for peer support groups. Um, So, I mean, if you're looking at a a group of dementia patients, it's definitely going to be hard for peer support to work because they have a lapse of memory. But for something like anxiety or depression, you know, people, like you were just saying, have all of these thoughts and they don't want to express them. Again, maybe it's vulnerability, you know, not wanting to put yourself out there in fear of like overall societal rejection. Um, But the more that people hear things like this and the more that people share things like this, the more connected and bonded we are. And that actually does generational healing, which is how you can solve generational trauma. It's getting the word out there. It's connecting to other people. It's using empathy and compassion to relate to your other man. so, I mean, and, and that's one thing that's been incredibly effective since the early 2000s. And so, um, yeah, I, I think conversations like this are especially important because it shows us that we're not alone. And I think that that's all that humans really want. Yeah, well, you know, I was talking about that a couple of years ago. It was just like, I think deep down, like the, the ultimate point, why a million houses, cars, you know, fame, all this ultimately doesn't do is because I think deep down people want to be able to be 100% of who they are. And instead of someone being like, oh, yeah, sure. Like, someone actually be like, no, I get you. Like, yeah. to be understood and appreciated. It's like, no, I think to be able to be you and actually be understood, there's no greater thing you can offer somebody than, like, 
than like genuine empathy and compassion from understanding, not just like I want to care. You know, it's like right. we. You can it, feel when it's fake. I mean, and I think I think we're here to have a physical experience that will teach us how to understand ourselves, not to be understood. But I think that in mutual, you know, give and take in the the reality of what relationships are on any level, you know, being understood by another and sharing things will help you better understand yourself. And I think that that's why that's such a healing factor. You know, actually uh, posted, it was uh, it was Sam Harris had uh, posted, it was actually on, it was kind of the intro to his uh one of his apps but he and i'd made it my facebook status and uh, and he uh where was it it was let me find it real quick posts all right so it's like he goes wisdom is understanding that you don't have to hold your happiness hostage until some future time where your desires get gratified Whatever your goals, the quality of the journey has to become more important than those fleeting moments when you actually arrive at your destination because most of your life is the journey. Mm-hmm. Consider everything you are doing represents a finite opportunity to savor your life. And, you know, the, 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 this whole quarantine has showed this like whole crap. Like people were like, I didn't realize how much me just working towards a goal gave value to my life. And, like, when that stopped, it's like, holy crap. Like, people are just like, yeah, I got free time. But I'm like, yeah, but it ain't worth shit because you don't have a break from. You're not doing anything to take a break from. Mm-hmm. So you're just like, yay, freedom. And it's like, ah, oh, fuck, this sucks. Yeah, because if you're not growing, freedom blows. It just shows you that you're like, I'm literally killing time till I die. Right. And just the physical side of you dies, but yeah. Mm. We have, do we have any, like, final thoughts for the episode? Because I think we should do a series on this, personally. <laughs> I have a lot more to say. But, um, well, actually, we can keep going if you want. No, I mean, it's been wonderful. Because yeah. I, feel like, I feel like we can... I, there's so many things I want to cover, but I'm wondering if we should, like, try to branch it out into to different things. Because we started off... What was our initial thing? Epidemiology. Gene variations and predispositions to things like depression. And... What, 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 you know, which I guess sort of led on to the whole thing. It's like, correlation doesn't mean causation. And it's like oversimplifying because like I think there's a lot of factors like oh I know one point I was trying to make you get some guy that from the age of like seven his dad died his big brother was in a gang he ends up joining a gang all he's known is slinging drugs and addiction you get some person grow up from a Christian family all of a sudden they show up at this place for a weekend someone gets them to try a substance they you know all of a sudden they're stuck there for a few days totally different life now they're both addicted and it's like oh it's because they showed this factor it's like no sometimes if you're just in the right place or the wrong place at the wrong time boom now you just like five days in a row you doing this thing now that guy's lost his whole life to heroin or something Again, though, i mean that's you know the, the first person in that example is definitely a, a product of their environment um and you know tying that back to you know the system and the institutions i mean people aren't given the same opportunities depending on socioeconomic status uh depending on race whatever you know like there are you don't get the same opportunities and so person a in that example you know only knew one environment so it was comfortable again he's not going to go challenge that because that's what he knows that's what he's been influenced by that's what's comfortable person b was enticed by something but was in quote unquote the wrong place at the wrong time but was also influenced by social factors the social factor of having to fit into a perfect christian family of having to you know 
you know, maintain perfect grades or, you know, whatever else that person was going through. But at that one influence in that environment, you know, social pressures, peer pressure, you know, wanting something different, wanting change, led them down the same hole. And neither of them were affected by, let's say, genes in that case. But there could be a third person who might have been there that day who was. Well, you know, and, that, and you know, one person, you know, could be, you know, more predisposed to, um, you know, having addiction addictive traits you know and one person may not but that doesn't necessarily mean i think you know again it's wrong place wrong time it's wrong social environment you know particularly disturbing social influences those are the things that are going to lead up to it and there's the thing is there's so many factors and it's like i get frustrated because it's like some person might go oh it's because i'm this or because i'm this and it's like it could be a little of that it could be a little of this and sometimes it's the thing people are oversimplifying and, and so statistics are so skewed, you know, we get something like, you know, who has Corona or da, da, da. It's like, you're, you're looking at, you know, some stuff that's like a guy might've gotten it for one day, but he was about to die from, from literally like blood loss. And he just happened to like get, like somebody at the hospital just happened to have Corona and gave it to him right, right as he's on his deathbed, counts as a Corona death. Right. Um, and then, so like a stat that might've gone to something else of like, oh, this information could have gone to this statistic. It gets wiped from the statistic it actually applies to and gets given to this because this is, you know, part of the, I wonder how many of those statistics or how much information gets skewed because we want to trace it to one particular thing and we're listening these and and so what we're left with is this information that's why we can't that's why eggs are good one day eggs are bad one day well, it's and that's this why you know opiates are a, a good use for you know managing pain one day versus now there's a global you know epidemic going on with a bunch of people being addicted to something that we were told so again it's going to come down to having an unbiased system to do the research in which we know systematically people put so much trust into that system. And so when you have a researcher that says like, well, we're going to get a lot of money if, you know, the hospitals will get funding if we amplify our corona deaths versus recoveries. And if you're getting funding from that, no, no wonder people are going to classify the person that was supposed to quote unquote die of cancer, even though I don't think anyone's supposed to do anything and I think cancer is a fucking bitch. You know, I, I don't think, I think that that's exactly why those, those numbers get, you know, fibbed and statistics become so malleable, you know, and, and when we look at it numerically, it looks so impressive. But again, it's coming back to the same argument of peer reviewed. It's like, who was funding this? What was the yep, overall and, 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 you know, history is written by the victor. Yeah, it, It's exactly. like, you know, you go back and realize, like, oh, crap, everybody was torturing their people. But it's like, we won. So it's like, these guys did it way more. Right. Or they did it better. Or, yeah. So it's, you know. It's interesting. And people, you know, I remember the whole thing, like the Nazis are like, oh, they want this perfect perfect race. They want German people. I'm like, you realize the Japanese don't want anybody but Japanese people? There's a lot of countries that don't take any immigration and they like to keep their races pure. That's not a German thing. That's been around for forever. Yeah. And so it's like most people don't know. They're like, what? Like, yeah, no, the Japanese don't like, they're incredibly like. See, again, that's a cultural thing. That's a cultural thing. I, I believe that Germany, Nazi Germany specifically, you know, did that in Wow, which is such, you know, with <laughs> such great extent, which is a great figure that just, you know, sort of like unlike anything we've ever seen before. And I think that that's why the impact was as great as it was. And also, like, what they don't talk enough about enough is how much, like, they, so many of the Germans were on so much, like, amphetamines that, like, that, by the way, like, like, it got their, like, whatever extreme they were at got even worse because some of these people haven't slept in like a week they're going to fight and like any crazy thought you have is now that much crazier so it's like well you know and i think an interesting thing is like you know my grandmother told me that she dated 
a boy in the Nazi youth. Um, and, you know, flubbing statistics and things like that. So you weren't, you know, the to maintain the pure race and whatever the fuck, you know, he really wanted. You, you, you know, the Aryan race of blue hair, or uh, blonde Super hair, blue Saiyan. <laughs> blonde hair, blue eyes. My grandmother dated a boy in the Nazi youth that had brown hair and brown, big brown eyes. And on his card, his identification card, it said uh, blonde hair, blue eyes. And, and so that was a, a number of, like, you know, again, fibbing the statistics to create this image of something that, you know, we place or they place value on. Of, this is better than one. You know, and it's like, have you, have you ever, I explained this to somebody else a few weeks ago, the, um, have you ever heard of the Stanford uh, Prison Studies? Uh, concerning that specific, is that is a specific study on World War II? No, so it's, um, it was more on roles, essentially, and so they, they had volunteers come and uh, one group of people played the prisoners and one people played the, um, the guards, and you know, they, they knew they had volunteered. It was $15 for like three weeks or something like that. And the, the study didn't last over two weeks because it was so psychologically damaging to be told one thing of like, you know, they, they basically told the guards, you are in control, you can do whatever you want. And then the prisoners started to actually assume the role of being prisoners. And so they tried to riot. The prisoner guards beat them, blocked them, took away their food, took away all their bedding, like things like that. And, you know, these people were so psychologically damaged by assuming a role that they think is, like, good, that they think is, you know, how it should be, societally speaking. Um, and, this, and the same thing happened in the, uh, there's an actual name for it, but it, I call it the blue, blue eyes, brown eyes study. Uh, where a kindergarten teacher or a second grade teacher looked at the children and said, if you have blue eyes, you can go to recess for the whole day. And if you have brown eyes, you can sit in the corner with your head down. And if you have blue eyes, you pass. And if you have brown eyes, you don't. And so it, it psychologically pushes you to believe that one is superior to the other. And I think that historically we've seen, you know, the cognitive effects that people have had. And, and that plays into, you know, you can connect those findings of those studies, which happened uh, you know, early, late 70s, early 80s before the code of ethics was that was actually like implemented um, because for a really long time, science was so fucked. Like who, who was the scientist that like brought all the dogs back to life and they were like half robot, half dead, like. Oh, they, they made a lot of shows on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's <laughs> just, just like, a lot of interesting movies and, yeah. and even kids cartoons based off that. Definitely before the code of ethics because those are not ethical practices that you should have in the medical field. But, you know, it, it holds the same implications of, you know, one is good and one is bad. And, um, you know. Golly, you know what, what's 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 so interesting about that too is even even in Mein Kampf, Hitler said like aesthetically you couldn't tell a Jew from a German. It, it, so it was it wasn't he didn't even it wasn't even like the 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 physical thing that made them initially start the bullshit because Hitler's like you couldn't tell it was an ideology thing that initially caused him to start it and then I don't even know where well, it became. Actually, a I'm pretty sure it was because that girl broke his heart. And, you know, one of his best friends was Jewish. Like it was like his friend in school was Jewish. Mistress was a Jew. Got his heart broken by a Jewish woman. It's just, just bit. Social like, factors. It's like it's like, it's like hoes ain't nothing but bitch. <laughs> hoes ain't loyal, and that's how you got World War II. True. <laughs> God, you have to edit that out. But it's not. I easy. do. I do. That's fucked up. Like, uh, I don't mean in America. It's a joke. Uh, 
you know, Bill, Bill Burr does a joke on it. He's like, you know, how pissed Hitler was when it's like, you know, uh, I can't remember. What's the black athlete that won the race? And then, like, it, you the know. The Nigerian guy? Yeah, he, 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 the American that, that, that oh. was, uh, in, or was he Nigerian? But he had, he had an American name. But anyway, he, he, won the, he won the race, and Hitler just like, he's like, he's like oh, we oh, got no, the better defeat the race. It's like, uh, Hitler, I think we accidentally already created that. <laughs> Talking about, like, a black athlete who just, like, dominate every sport. Well, I mean, you know, bringing that back to predispositions and genetics, I mean, like, there are particular things, like you were saying, like, people are um, influenced by their environment. Like, why do rabbits have big ears? Because they're prey and they need to listen to their environment. Why do bats, like, use, or dolphins use, like, echolocation and things like that? It's because, you know... Can't see anything in the dark. Right, like, their eyes are not good and they need to adapt. And so it's like, you know, the, the orange... And cause COVID-19. Jeez, <laughs> edit that out. That's too soon. <laughs> <laughs> Bad soup. Most pe- most pe- most people without a good sense of humor and intellect aren't going to make it this far in the episodes. So it's okay. Oh, <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, I, th- I think a sense of humor is definitely needed when you know discussing. You know, the the world can become so grim so fast, um, and I think that it takes humor.